Hello and welcome to So You Want to Be an Engineer, the St. Paul School Engineering Society podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome Christopher Nicolaides to the show. Uh, Christopher is an acoustics engineer, and so his sound should be pretty good for today's podcast, all being well. So he's going to come and talk to us all about acoustics and what acoustics engineers actually do. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show, Christopher. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So I have a set of questions that's actually been written by a pupil um, who sadly couldn't be with us today. So I'm going to do my best to ask those questions for him. Obviously, I'm going to have to go off the sheet that he sent me. So hopefully you're going to have some cracking answers. Let's see how this goes. So firstly, and I think what everyone wants to know is what actually is an acoustics engineer? Okay, Um, I'll do my best to clarify because it is sometimes a confusing question, one that even acoustics engineers get confused over. Initially, we have the distinction um, when we work in engineering in acoustics, separate from our uh, sort of cousins in the music production industry. So there's a bit of initial confusion over if you're an acoustics engineer or what is referred to as a sound engineer sometimes. So within the fraternity of acoustics engineers, there's further split between there's, there's architectural acoustic engineers, the kind of people who will design and advise architects on how thick walls have got to be for the correct sound insulation afforded by a building's envelope such that your schools or theatres are you know adequately insulated from the outside world. So I don't hear my colleague teaching in the other classroom when I'm teaching my class? Certainly or that if your development is built next to a large motorway just because that's the way it has to be that everyone's well-being in the building isn't suffering because of that from an acoustics point of view. So that's your building acoustics and architectural acoustics sort of subdivision of acoustics engineers. And they're quite different from the environmental acoustics engineers who are dealing a lot with noise and the impact of noises, right? So some of their work will feed into the uh, building acoustics and architectural acoustics guys, but sometimes they're completely separate people in separate departments. And these guys and girls will be standing in fields, measuring the background noise very accurately and with certain uh, instrumentation and methodology such that they can make those recordings so they can record and analyze what is the ambient noise in this area, because we might need to preserve that or you know work with that in somehow. So we've got architectural, environmental, and then we have like what I do, which is a separate thing, just to confuse things even more. Um, I'm an electroacoustics specialist. So I I do work with sound systems, but not in the way that maybe a sound engineer does in in a studio or production background. There is a whole bunch of us who try and accurately predict the performance of large sound systems that are installed in what may be to some people mundane places such as airports and train stations but it extends to stadiums and other you know places of worship so there's a whole science there of predicting speech intelligibility and sound pressure levels such that these big things can be done uh, and designed and executed so, so you can make sure that when someone's like at a train station, for example, they can actually hear the announcer wherever they are. Exactly. And you'd think it's a cliche with that ex- example, because, you know, tra- train stations have um, you know, a terrible repu- a reputation for, for sound. But a lot of like the disciplines of engineering, there's always like um, some level of required compliance behind everything. Something's got to meet a certain standard or safety standard. That's 
why we do what we do. And for, for my side, for um, electroacoustics, that normally stems from the safety of the public for evacuation. So the clarity of the evacuation message has got to reach and be proven to reach a certain level. That would make sense. So in order to become an acoustics engineer, what kind of qualifications would you have to get? What would you study at university to, to do this? Well, that, that's again, it's, it's, it's a bit interesting because there are some universities which have got a history of providing um, specialist acoustics courses and even some of them, some of these sub-disciplines as well, like you can do an electroacoustics degree and masters in, in, at, at certain uh, institutions around the country. But there is a whole bunch of us who are failed musicians or people who wanted to get into production and sort of, you know, I mean, me personally, I studied music production at university and I left university and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do or if I'd be any good at this or how I was going to go about, you know, crafting a career. And just the process of being at uni was, a, was, was great because you kind of figure out what kind of person you are as well. So I like structure and I like, you know, knowing what's going on and a career in the music industry wasn't for me. I was, I think I was figuring out and you, you kind of, well, I really did good in my electronics and my physics and my, and my maths. And then you kind of discover acoustics and you kind of end up kind of, you know, where you need to be. Like finding your niche, like wiggling into that niche. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of us who, who don't have an acoustics degree. But then there's all these like diplomas and other courses and certifications. And, you know, some people go and do a master's after a few years or something like that. So you currently work at AMS Acoustics. I was wondering what your job is like on a daily basis, because obviously you you started out kind of as a technician and you're now the principal, I believe. So so how has that how has that role changed over the years? I've had the luxury of of coming in from the ground up, which I would always just want to do the same thing again, rather than, you know, you, you can kind of specialise in engineering, you know, you can specialise, you can start off in another thing and you can kind of sideways move across. But I have the benefit of being the guy at a technician level where if there was surveys and you'd be the guy standing in the field or, you know, in the train station, making the recordings and then bringing all the stuff back to the lab and analysing test signals and you know, that, that, that was the technician kind of roles, you know, all the all the data collection, initial data analysis. You're not writing many reports at that point or speaking to many clients, but you're gaining this like understanding of how everything works. And it piques your curiosity for a few years because then you sort of trying to go deeper. And oh, so that's why we do that. And that's that's why that parameter is important or whatever. So you're doing all of that. And I was doing all of that as a technician. And then the main thing that's changed for me over the sort of last 12 years is gradually being exposed to the wider sort of scope of the project. So the first part is when you start to sort of, you know, you can start to develop your own analytical skills and arriving at, you know, conclusions and then communicating those conclusions and talking to your clients and being able to sort of just get it off your chest initially as an engineer, maybe like, oh, here's your report with all the figures in it and your, you know, project passes or fails or whatever it is and then as you get further and further you sort of have you get more comfortable you get more knowledge more experience and then you can start to help people with problems and you can use that to kind of you know solve people's tricky problems and that's what I that's what I do a bit more of now so more sort of more talking to people and less heading spreadsheets maybe is is my is my journey 
So you kind of, you've kind of built it from the ground up, like getting all of that knowledge first and building on that knowledge. And now you're in a position where you have all the knowledge and you can start solving those tricky problems, as you said, for people. Do you find this this higher level, this tricky problem solving more rewarding than the early stuff or, or has it all been rewarding just in different ways? It's interesting. I mean, th- sometimes you just have to learn to deal with some of the typical things that you might, you know, in any discipline, you're going to get the same kind of questions that kind of just repeat and you have to find new ways of, you know, tackling that without it getting frustrating, for example. And sometimes, you know, uh, to you can sort of cure the common cold if you want. Sometimes you dealt with something so much that is like a perennial problem that, you know, you might have some inspiration and, and be able to, to, to deal with that. But yeah, I mean, so what I find rewarding now is getting to work in interdisciplinary teams where, you know, when, when you're not... Um, just working as the acoustics engineer off doing your little thing and your calculations and sending them back into the project that you get pulled in sometimes on these multidisciplinary design teams alongside you know architects lighting specialists structural engineers and you kind of all there's there's a project going on and you'll all work together and it feels for me now it's almost like going full circle i feel like doing like a group uni project or something like that but you know on a higher higher scale and I do really enjoy doing things like that which you only kind of get to do maybe a bit later on again yeah amazing so what kind of problems does AMS Acoustics solve what kind of things do you get to do now I mean as, as I said we're a sound system electroacoustic specialist consultancy broadly speaking that's our our niche so people do arrive at us kind of in weird ways you kind of get recommended because of this that someone's got a problem here there or whatever one of the biggest kind of general problems that we deal with, as I said, we are dealing with um, systems where you see lots of speakers in the airport or lots of speakers in the train station or, or even the stadium speakers in like, you know, a football stadium. During a normal operation, they are, you know, providing the messages, the, the public address, but they are also there as the voice alarm system in most cases. They're the one and the same system where the evacuation message comes across, which has to be intelligible and there's standards published that tell you how intelligible that they've got to be and as you're designing the system you've got to prove that that's all moving forward in the right way and when it's done you've got to go on site and you've got to measure it and prove that it's done and it gets signed off and they can open the building so what we have to deal with our enemy primarily are two is two things is noise levels from the activity of the trains or the public or whatever um, or the planes or cars and also reverberation. Those two things served to, to reduce speech intelligibility. Now, we're dealing in all these, in these um, you know, lovely new buildings that these architects are dreaming up, and they are a nightmare for speech intelligibility most often because they're glass, you know, they're tiles, they're all this stuff, which every, you, you know, because you're, you're doing podcasts, right? there's so much reverberation right so i mean it can happen even on a small scale we could be having a, you know a, a, a teleconference and i could for whatever reason want to do it from my bathroom say and it's all tiles and glass and they'll just be full of reverberation and speech intelligibility will be the mic would have to be so close to my mouth not for you not to hear any of the room but we don't have that luxury in like a for example, like an airport where the speakers are so far away, you know, they're two or three stories high, you know, on this lovely suspended ceiling and trusses and everything, you know how it is. 
So that's that's what we come in as the bearers of bad news to tell people this is all great and it all looks lovely and clean in the renderings and we've run our simulation and it's you know it's going to sound like um, a massive cathedral in here. We're not going to be able to evacuate anyone safely. So we need to all work with each other now. All the disciplines have to start you know working with each other to figure that out. How are we going to do it? Where are we going to hide some speakers? Where are we going to reduce the reverberation? So do you therefore have an impact on the actual design of the building before if, if, if buildings are being designed before they've been built? Do you have an impact on where maybe some different style will go in to reduce those reverberations? I, I wouldn't give us as much credit as saying that. But what I will say is, for example, there's products that are referred to as acoustic absorption. These might be, you know, you might look up in a ceiling sometimes, see loads of little dots in a like a perforated panel, right? And that probably wasn't someone's first choice, uh, an architect's first choice of surface finish. But because a, an acoustic consultant might have been on the project and done a simulation and said, look, we need to do something, we need to change that. And this is this is in keeping with your, you know, aesthetic or whatever. So we'll, we'll provide constraints is what we'll do. We'll very rarely be like, you know, sketching things out and telling people exactly what to do. But we give people like a palette of options and we tell people what works from our experience. Because a lot of things which are kind of conceptual, when you have more experience, you kind of figure out what just kind of works on paper and what works in real life. So obviously you were talking about kind of um, train stations and airports and stadiums. Do you have a, a favourite kind of area to work on? Do you prefer the airports over the train stations, for example? Or um, No, it is quite different. I mean, there's more train stations than there are airports, right? And um, I cut my teeth on, on train stations. I cut my teeth on London Underground. So uh, I apologise if, if, if people think that the, the train messages are very very uh, unintelligible um you know there's lots of factors that come. once we hand the systems over you know people set them up how how they want and there's other things going on but my favorite project a few years ago i got to work on the design for um this intention to build the world's largest airport in dubai because they have kind of the, the one of the busiest international airports at the moment it kind of goes up and down every year with heathrow and other other airports but on the other side of town they want to build this really they have a vision for 2050 even of having this very very large airport and ams acoustics were kind of chosen for our reputation so we got involved in that and um i actually we actually had to put together a multidisciplinary acoustics team so our team dealt with not only the um, speech intelligibility and voice alarm electroacoustic stuff that we deal with normally we partnered up with some other partners and we had building acoustics environmental acoustics kind of the whole offering to this project and I got to lead the project and it it transpired that I had to go to Dubai for a couple of years to deal with deal with the client um but it was it was one of those projects where like as, as I said earlier where you kind of it's very fast paced you're in these multidisciplinary meetings coordinating with other people and it you're getting a lot done very quickly and you, that's when you learn the most as well. So I feel like I upskilled tremendously during that project. All all these other technologies and methods and things, you just kind of you have to uh, kick your legs and, and and tread water and and get up and just keep your your neck above it. And you learn so much. So, so is is that the biggest project you've ever worked on? Let's think about like actual sheer scale, sheer size. Certainly, certainly, yeah, yeah, massive. So. 
do you have any advice for, say, pupils who are still in school who maybe really like music and like those kind of sound side of things, but also really like engineering? Kind of a, a advice for them if they're thinking after listening to this, oh, I didn't know acoustic engineering was a thing. That sounds really interesting. I want to find out more about that. What what would you say? What what should they be doing now in school, for example? What should they be thinking about at the moment? So you can't go wrong just focusing on the fundamentals. So for, if if you focus on your maths and your physics and some computer skills, obviously, you know, that's how it makes your life easier every day. Right. So um, if you if you if you focus on that, you, you, you've got a lot of flexibility. But as soon as you want to start looking at some specialisms, there's some great institutions like the Institution of Sound and Communication Engineers who have like, you know, they, they take student memberships and they'll, they'll follow you now throughout, you know, your, your, uh, you can become a graduate member and then a member, you get a professional network kind of building from there and you can kind of be exposed to what other people are, what engineers a few years ahead of you might be doing, you know, there's, they have mini exhibitions and things like that and days where you can kind of get exposed to like other stuff and ask people questions. That's the, that's the best thing. If you're curious about something, basically figure out a way of having a network, a small network where you can put some questions across and, you know, we were all in that position at some point. So people are a lot more friendly than you might think. I mean, I remember being in uni. I just didn't want to ask anyone anything. I just wanted to try and solve it all myself. And every, everything felt like a silly question sometimes, but it's really not the case. So there's there's places where you can go and, and people you can talk to. Mostly the one thing I found out from doing this podcast is actually how open all of these different engineering institutions are to helping out. Because I just reached out going, do you have any engineers that can help? And the response has been phenomenal. It's been so fascinating seeing how willing people are to actually help out kids to find out what is out there. I mean, up until like this interview, I had no idea what an acoustics engineer did. So thank you so much for telling us about it. It was really interesting. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. So You Want to Be an Engineer is produced by Katie Douglas and edited by Arthur Jenkins. It is a production of the St Paul's School Engineering Society. If you would like to be on the show or would like to know more about Engineering Society, then you can email us on engineering at simpleschool.org.uk.